If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I've noticed a trend in publishing in the last few years of a, a whole smattering of books with titles that include the phrase, as a way of life, in them. Here's a quick search on Amazon turned up these results. Pragmatism as a way of life. Prozac as a way of life. Liberalism as a way of life. Loneliness as a way of life. Love as a way of life. Foraging as a way of life. We find this trend in Christian publishing as well. Just this last year, a few publications from uh, some folks that I know uh, has the, the following. Christianity as a way of life, a systematic theology. Uh, Christian philosophy as a way of life. Pauline theology as a way of life. I keep wondering when someone's going to write the book called A Way of Life as a Way of Life. <laughs> I don't usually title my sermons, but if I were to title this sermon, I think I might call this one The Decalogue as a Way of Life. And what I'd like to think with you about this morning is that rather than just see the Ten Commandments as a list of rules, might we see these ten items as, as an invitation, an invitation to a way of living that follows the example and teaching of Christ about how to be God's people. It's become our custom during Advent and Lent to include the Decalogue as part of the opening of our liturgy. Uh, you have them right there in your bulletin. Those are drawn from our prayer book, which itself pulls it from Exodus 20. This forms part of what the, the prayer book calls a penitential rite that, that fits well with this penitential season of Lent. And yet I think the Decalogue is liable to misunderstanding or misapplication and I think one of, the, one of the challenges that I'm having, or I think perhaps many of us have, with these uh, Ten Commandments, and, and there's a challenge that, that faces us who are living here in, in North America in the 21st century. I think this is due to the fact that we live in a rather litigious society. It seems like just about everything that we do is subject to the scrutiny of the lawyer. Now, I'm all for law and for lawyers. Those are sitting on two ends of me right here. Uh, and, and the good service that they, that they provide to our common good. But I think a problem, a problem with being too rule-focused or too much of a law-obsessed obsessed culture uh, is that the moment we hear a law or a commandment, I think we immediately start thinking about how we can get around it or get out of it. Or, or think of some exception to it, or, or how to get up right to the edge of it without actually technically breaking it. You know, we're walking down the street, and we come to a corner, and we see that sign that says, don't walk, and it's like flashing at us. And we think, well, that doesn't really mean don't walk. It means don't walk if there's a lot of cars around, or, or it means don't walk if you're not really careful, or it means don't walk if you aren't in a hurry, but I'm in a hurry, so I can just go ahead and ignore that rule, right? We think of all kinds of reasons why the law doesn't apply to us in our present situation. And so we walk across the street, even though that sign says, don't walk. And I think the Ten Commandments are not immune to this kind of practice. We read, uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we think, well, what's the exception? Or, or how can I get around that? Or, or what if I don't lie per se, but just kind of withhold part of the truth? What about those little white lies that don't seem to hurt anybody? We see commandment and we think, how do I get around this? But I think that this way of thinking about the Decalogue isn't right. I mean, if it were, I suppose then the easiest way to follow a lot of these rules 
would be to like knock yourself in the head and go into a coma. I mean, no one's committing murder or lying or, or stealing or creating any idols if you're unconscious. But that's not the point. The point is not simply to avoid doing certain things. The point is to avoid these things by accepting an invitation to pursue a positive vision of a way of life. Even think about that statement that Christ made in our gospel reading today. Yes, he tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, but that's only the first half of that, that key statement. Jesus says, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That, that's an invitation. And it's not just a negative, don't do stuff. It's also a positive, come and follow me. Come and follow my teachings. Come and follow my guidance. Come and follow my way of life. Jesus gave us a, a summary of this way of life, a summary of this way of living in response to the question about what's the greatest commandment. And his response was to focus on two things that don't really have the flavor of command at all, love God and love your neighbor. I think the Decalogue gives us some negatives, some areas in which to deny ourselves, but within each of these denials is given a positive vision for how to love God and love others, how to lead a way of life as God's people. And in fact, when you look at the passage in Exodus uh, 20, uh, most of our modern Bibles you know, call that chapter the Ten Commandments, when you see it in Exodus 20 in context, the word commandment isn't, isn't, isn't even actually there. Rather, the translation of the first verse of this chapter is simply as we have it in our bulletin from the prayer book. God spoke these words and said. God spoke these words. Uh, the term decalogue, in fact, is just a Greek-derived term meaning the ten words. But the meaning of the word word in Hebrew, like in Greek, is a bit more expansive than simply the letters on a page or these sentences. Rather, word in Hebrew has connotations of instructions, of teachings, of guidance, even of wisdom. And so I think these ten words ought better to be thought of not as laws that can be circumvented, but more as instructions for how to live, guidance for a way of life. These ten words are, are a sort of window into a flourishing way of being a human being, uh, a way of life that makes us fit to thrive in this place that God has created. You can sort of think of it like, a, like an icon, and not just like the cool icons we have in the building here, but like, like an icon for an app on your phone. You know, on your, on your phone you have all these apps, and, and they have icons on them. And when you, when you touch that icon, when you tap that, that icon there, a whole world opens up, a whole program opens up and goes beyond that little insignia on your phone. Uh, my little Gmail app icon is like a little M, and I tap that, it opens up a whole world of my email inbox, a kind of chaotic world, but nonetheless, it's still a world that goes beyond what that icon itself is. I think each of these words, each of these instructions in the Decalogue is like an icon that, that opens us up to a whole world that each of these words represents. So for instance, the sixth word is, you shall not murder. Now, thinking about this just as a law or a rule is probably pretty boring for most of us. I don't want to presume, but I imagine us nice folk in this building are probably not going to be faced with a situation where we're literally like, should I murder this person or not? Oh, there's a law against that. I'm going to not do that. Probably that's not going to face any of us. But rather than just thinking of this as a negative prohibition, 
thinking of this word as an icon opens up a whole world that's the opposite of murder, to love and to care for those around us. If murder is the sacrifice of someone else's life, Christ's example shows us that love is a self-sacrifice for the good of others. If we just avoid killing people, we haven't really embraced this word as a way of life. Rather, when we follow Jesus, when we, when we love as Jesus did, when we care for the poor and the sick as Jesus did, when we put the needs of others above our own needs as Jesus did, then we embrace this way of life that this word points us to. Or think of the seventh word, not to commit adultery. If you're trying to calculate just how many text messages you can send to someone who's not your spouse counts as adultery, then you've already lost the plot. You've already missed what this word is all about. The point of this word is not how close can I come to adultery without actually breaking it. The point is to invite you to the opposite direction. How devoted to my spouse can I be? How singularly focused on expressing affection to my spouse can I be? How self-sacrificially caring for my spouse can I be? How can I get into the mindset of seeing my marriage as a sign of the covenantal relationship between Christ and the church? In this manner, this word is a word for those who are not married as well. And not just like, how close can I get before it counts as breaking it, but rather, this word is an invitation to the unmarried to be singularly focused on serving God with your bodies, indeed, even with your sexuality. Following a call of, of chastity is not just about avoiding something, but it's about pursuing union with and devotion to God with the totality of yourself, your mind and your body and all the parts of your body. And so even the unmarried can use this law, this word, as a window into a life of flourishing. Or think again about that word about not bearing false witness against your neighbor. What world of positive virtue, what way of life does this word open up to us? Can we envision a life lived tr uh, truthfully, uh, openly, transparently? not just about refraining from saying something false about someone. And Jesus, in fact, tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Can we accept this invitation of this word to live in the truth, not only with what comes out of our mouths or is typed by our fingers and thumbs, but in how we conduct the totality of our lives, how we conduct our businesses, our, our work on our homework, our, how we fill out our taxes, indeed all of our engagements with those around us to be lived in the truth. The last word says not to covet. Again, what world does that open up for us? I think far more than getting to some neutral baseline where you just don't have the desire for someone else's stuff, I think what we see here is a picture of contentedness. And that is the flourishing human is one who is content with what they have, who's grateful for what they have. We know and we confess, we say, we know that all things come from God and that we're dependent upon God for our daily bread. A way of life that daily acknowledges God's provision for us is a way of life that has no time or space for wanting someone else's stuff. By embracing a positive vision for being content with what God provides, we easily avoid the coveting that this word warns against. And this then brings us, or at least brings me, back to the opening words of the, the, the ten words here, about having no other gods and not making any idols. And the way of life that the Decalogue invites us to 
is one that's lived with recognition that God is God, and, and we owe everything to God. And this then entails a way of living that's saturated with worship. Worship is acknowledging the unsurpassing greatness of God. Worship is the, the grateful adoration of that which is highest and most important to us. It's not enough just to avoid making an idol, but if we truly worship God, not just on Sunday morning, but as a way of life, it'll become unthinkable to make idols, whether those be of wood and stone or of money and reputation. So as we walk through this season of Lent, uh, our exhortation from last week invited us to examine our lives by the rule of God's commandments. Perhaps we might think of this as an invitation to examine our lives, to see where and how we can accept this invitation of pattering our lives on the guidance of these ten words. Certainly we can use these ten words as a means of discerning and preparation for confession of where we've fallen short. We can certainly use them to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But let's also, I'd like to invite you to meditate on, on the world of flourishing that the Decalogue opens up as a way of life of following Christ. Amen.